All right, so we have on the show today for our very special mini episode into North Korea, one of my very good friends, uh, Simon, who has actually been to North Korea. Uh, Simon is not going to be joining us on video because, you know, he wants to protect his privacy, but we're very happy to have him on the show and talk about his experience. So, Simon, how did you even end up going to North Korea? How did that happen? So it was um, a very interesting experience for me because uh, I was not personally invited to that trip. My mom was. Uh, it was organized by her uh, workplace and only her colleagues and um their underage kids were uh, allowed on that trip. And normally, if you want to visit North Korea, you have to be a Chinese citizen. And if you hold like a foreign passport, especially a Western passport, normally you're not allowed to go. Um, and that is especially true after that American university student was tortured to uh, almost death. So foreign people, like especially Westerners, were even... Uh, less welcomed there. Okay. So when you got to North Korea, what was the process? Did you just go straight from, from Beijing on, on a plane and you to Pyongyang or That's how, right. how, how so did that work? There are two ways to get to North Korea uh, legally. You can either fly Air Koryo, which is very funny because that's the only one-star airline in the world. It's the worst airline ever. And um, either you can travel by train from Liaoning province, which is the province that borders with North Korea. And the flight is only one hour. It's very quick. And you travel on an old Russian Tupolev uh, aircraft because North Korea was sanctioned from uh, by any uh, Western commercial aircraft. So all their planes were at least uh, 30 years old. And uh, when I so we traveled to North Korea from uh, Beijing, and uh, there are only three destinations that you can uh, uh, travel to uh, in and out from North Korea legally from on their aircraft. It's Beijing, Shenyang, and Vladivostok in Russia. So we we flew from Beijing to Pyongyang, and once we arrived, uh, the uh, custom declaration process was surprisingly easy because they were all waiting for us. Literally, <laughs> like Europe, uh, we were one of the only few. Uh, foreign people who uh, would enter North Korea. And by the way, this was in 2017. This was pre-COVID, pre-Kim's uh, visit with Trump. So uh, that was during a period when uh, Kim was trying to show some uh, friendly gesture to the West. And uh, foreign tourists were relatively welcome at that time. But uh, North Korea banned tourism completely since the beginning of COVID. So going to North Korea now is uh, impossible. And we I have no idea per personally if they're going to resume uh, traveling to North Korea uh, anytime, even after COVID. What about your accommodation? Did you see any of the citizens? Did you interact with them? Yes. So we stayed in uh, what they call the best hotel. But to me, it's like a three-star hotel by... Uh, Canadian standards, probably. So um, we were uh, we were sort of like um, transported by a bus, uh, a, a coach, basically, uh, anywhere we go. So we were not allowed to talk with North Korean citizen. Uh, I certainly didn't speak Korean back then. And um, uh, you have to be within the site of your tourist guide. If you leave the site, 
then you may be fined or face deportation immediately. So that meaning you're not allowed to, so like um, basically a tourist guy will have a little flag um, uh, waving in front of you. And all of us, we were wearing the yellow hat uh, that says the name of our uh, tourist group on it. And that I believe is a sign is a warning sign for North Korean citizens as well. I believe they were trained where they were told not to talk to people with a yellow hat on because it'll be dangerous. And that was the reason why that when I was trying to approach to some North Koreans walking in the street, they were like hiding from me. They were like running away from me as well. So talking to them is not easy. We were not only restricted by the guide, also the North Koreans, they show some kind of uh, uh, I would say like discontent or uh, some fear uh, against foreign people in the first place. So from what you're saying, it kind of seems like they only showed you places that they wanted you to see. Is that That's correct? Right. That's right. You're not allowed and impossible to see the areas that you want to see. Like everything you see is the are the places that... Um, they think it will be okay for you to see that shows the prosperity, the uh, the development level of the country. Although it was still not very developed to my standards, but um, it was definitely the most developed side they were showing to the outside world. So do you want to talk a little bit about what you did see? What like what when you talked about the the developed places, what did they look yes. like? What was what was Pyongyang the 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 North Korean tourist version, what was Pyongyang like? So Pyongyang was, um, uh, to me, the biggest shock was that the lack of advertisement. Normally in a big city like that, you will see ads everywhere, no matter it's um, uh, like uh, for real estate property sale or it's for uh, promotion of any uh, products, you wouldn't see any of those in North Korea because everything was centrally controlled by the government. And... Um, what you do see in replacement of those big signs are propaganda uh, slogans. And normally those were uh, very artistic. They were hand-drawn and they tend to have two themes. The biggest theme, the first theme is that uh, the support of the Juche thoughts, which is... Uh, uh, a school of thoughts that was originally developed by the uh, first uh, president of the country, uh, Kim Il-sung, and how they say that they have to support Juche them until uh, the end of their life, how they support uh, the Kim uh, family's rule without any uh, doubt, something like that. And what's funny is that when you see from the propaganda scripts, uh, you see two different fonts. Um, uh, we have a bigger font when it comes to the name of the three Kims and everything else was in uh, like regular font. So you just see small characters and suddenly there was three big characters and you know, okay, they're talking about the Kims. So that's very funny. And the second thing is that there were plenty of anti-American propaganda as well. Uh, one thing that particularly was memorable to me was there was this North Korean soldier punching an American soldier in the face and his, uh, the American's helmet came off and looked really hideous with all the blood coming out as well. It was kind of violent, 
But I believe that's the message they're trying to convey was that the Americans were not as strong as they thought. Uh, and um, they were easily defeatable by, uh, by the uh, North Korean government. Yeah. And so when you're going on these kind of excursions, the guide, I feel like, still tells you a lot of things. So do they also include these kind of propagandic ideas or are they more just talking about like the sites that you're seeing? Uh, yeah, the tourist guys, they actually talk less about that because they think they're smart. Like they wouldn't try to brainwash foreign tourists. Otherwise, they're just going to make themselves look stupid. So um, uh, they, they normally just introduce us with um, the like the, the development of the city mostly. And because that trip was not typically like a, like a tourist trip trip, it was more about for my mom's workplace. So they talk a lot about the uh, construction work going on and the infrastructure system in Pyongyang. So um, we, we actually didn't go anywhere else from Pyongyang, although I know that there are some tourist groups who had their chance to visit DMZ, the joint security area with South Korea, or they could visit the Bakto mountain to the north with China, but we only stayed in Pyongyang. So uh, one other thing that we uh, visited was the Pyongyang subway system. That was the deepest subway system in the world. It's an average more than 200 meters down uh, to the ground. And I briefly talked about that in my uh, recordings. I'm not sure, Bishra, you want me to talk more about this. Yeah, that would be great. Go ahead. Okay, sure. So the North Korean metro system, like the Pyongyang subway, it was built by the Chinese in the 1960s. It was built at the same time as the Beijing subway was built. And it was built by Chinese for free to show the support of our socialist neighbor. And um, so... The subway system was the deepest. Uh, it is still deepest uh, by modern standards. And the reason why they're so deep is because during the construction time, that was the peak of Cold War. And the nuclear threats from the West and from USSR was very imminent. So those subway stations, they're also bunkers. They're also nuclear bunkers uh, that can uh, save a lot of people from... Uh, radiation that's on the ground surface. So all those subway stations are also equipped with uh, air circulation systems. Uh, they all uh, equipped with uh, filtering systems and some food and water supply that can last to, I'm not sure how long, but for at least a while. So yeah, that was it. And all those, I'm not sure if you've been to Moscow, um, the two of you, but the subway uh, subway stations are also very well, very nicely decorated. Um, they show uh, like the history of North Korea from each station. Uh, the mosaic was very exquisite. Uh, they spent a lot of money on those for sure. And you can see all the gemstones uh, anywhere you go. So um, I would say the people riding on those uh, subway uh, in the carriages, uh, we were not allowed to talk to because we were very lucky to be able to actually get into the subway and then travel uh, within it for a few stations. But we were in the separate carriage ourselves and we were not allowed to talk with North Korea. But we could see, I could see personally, is that through this little tiny window that connects the carriages, 
they were all looking at us with a very curious vision. You know, it's almost like seeing some kind of like a um, like in, in seeing in a zoo, basically. <laughs> yeah. So we were, also, we were in display. Yeah, it's also very interesting when you watch videos on YouTube about like tourism in North Korea. You see yeah. these things, for example, how all tourists have to bow down to the statue of the leader and stuff. And I'm not sure if that's true. Maybe you could you could talk about oh, that. That's true for normal tourists, but because we are visitors as a bit of a like a government affiliated background as well, so we were exempt from doing that. And uh, normal people, when they pay for those private tourist groups, um, they normally have to go to that two statue of Kim Il Sung and Kim uh, 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 Kim Jong Il. The, the second present. So these two, they had this huge brown statue in the center, center of Pyongyang. And uh, if you want to go, you have to pay, uh, I forgot how much, but uh, I remember it was around five US dollars per um, some, some flowers, which were not real flowers. Those were plastic flowers that were um, in the shape of red roses. And What's, what's really funny to me was that once you pay, you get the flowers and you put that in front, uh, like underneath the foot of the two leaders, right? And half an hour later, someone will go and pick that up and recycle those flowers and someone else coming later will have to pay again for the same flowers. <laughs> so it's a money driving scheme, basically. That's crazy. You yeah. spoke about how um, uh, like you were sort of shown a very controlled view of North Korea that was strictly regimented and all that. But yes. I was wondering if, if beyond what you saw, like, for example, that little window through the subway, if you saw any of the sort of suffering of the North Korean people, a lot of the stuff that we see in the media, yes. or if you were sort of kept away from that. Yes, that is true. Um, one biggest flaw of the entire trip is that a lot of the buildings along the street, they were nicely brushed on the outside, but during the night, there's no light coming out from those. And that means no one's staying, no one's living in those apartment blocks. And that is uh, kind of a shock for me as well, because even if you see from the hotel window, uh, the majority of the buildings in Pyongyang is dark in the night, even if it's like only 6 p.m., 7 p.m., when uh, people are still having dinner, they're not in their bedtimes yet you don't see many uh windows that are um there were there were lights coming out from those so i would say that the actual population of pyongyang was actually much less than how they claimed because they claimed pyongyang is the home of two uh i remember two 2.4 million people but um at least from what i've saw what i've seen mm, it wasn't that many Okay, this has been so interesting uh, and so eye-opening. I feel like this really differs from the general kind of experience that we get on YouTube from like tourists of North Korea. Yeah. So thank you so much, Simon, for showing up and telling us about this. No problem. My pleasure. Yeah, so this is a wrap up of our mini show and we'll see you guys very soon in our next episode. Thanks for watching. Don't forget to follow us on all social media and engage with our posts and tell us what you think.